Welcome to Desert Island Books, a podcast about reading. I'm your host and resident librarian, Natalie Mason, from the Melbourne Library Service. Joining me is one special guest who will share their top three all-time favourite books. Oslo Davis is a drawer. His drawings are personal, witty and unique. Since 2007, Oslo's work has appeared in The Age newspaper, most recently in his sketchbook series. His weekly overheard cartoon in the Sunday Age has been published for more than 10 years. Oslo has regular drawing and writing gigs with The Monthly, Art Guide Australia, Mianjin and The Readings Monthly Newsletter. He has also drawn for The New York Times, Guardian and SBS. Readings Bookshop in Melbourne has been commissioning Oslo to draw for their website, merch and ephemera for years and for good reason. Welcome to your desert island, Oslo. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's your island. Thanks for having me. <laughs> How are you going? I'm good on this island. It's great. Uh, you know, not too sunny um, and uh, very relaxed. Thanks. Excellent. How's the food? I always wonder about food on Desert Island. Yeah, lots of sea, uh, lots of seafood and seagulls and coconuts. So uh, okay. it's pretty much, um, you know, like your normal Thai dish, really. It's an ecosystem <laughs> of sea. Yeah. Words that Coconut start with flavored. sea. Yeah. Coconut flavoured sea things. Urchins, you name it. Yeah. Mollusks. I think I'm better at talking about books. How about you? I'm much better. <laughs> Please, can we talk about it? Yes, we absolutely <laughs> can. Without further ado, uh, could you please reveal the title and author of book one? So the first book, book one, is The Third Policeman by Flan O'Brien. Have you heard of it? I had heard of it before you recommended it or before you told me it was going to join us on your desert island this afternoon and I picked it up and I read some of it. (laughs) Please tell me all about it. (laughs) Okay, so it was written by Flan O'Brien, who that is the pseudonym for someone called uh, Brian O'Nolan. Uh, he was an Irishman who died in 1966, but he wrote this book in 1940 or right. 39, and it was never published in his lifetime. It was published a year after he died. Uh, it's a novel. It's a surrealist novel, I guess you could say, um, very sort of metaphysical and bizarre and funny, and it basically involves or is about uh, an Irishman living in the countryside who is unnamed, the narrator of this book, and he gets into a few sort of tricky situations when he meets a friend, um, murders somebody, and basically stumbles down the rabbit hole. Uh, And in many ways, it's the most sort of grown-up Alice in Wonderland version of a novel I've ever read. Um, That is a very broad brushstroke of a description of this book. You just helped me understand the third of it that I read. Your <laughs> your description now has finally unlocked for me what on earth was going on. He was considered a genius. And in fact, uh, in fact, the, the blurb on the front of the book by um, James Joyce says that he's Ireland's funniest genius. So Joyce loved him. I wouldn't argue, I wouldn't argue with that description at all. Just because I couldn't finish it doesn't mean it, it's not a good book. That's no indication of, of whether it's good or not. Um, tell me what it's like for you when you're reading it. Like, Obviously, I presume you've read it more than once. Yeah, I've read it a few times. Yeah, tell me what that process is like for you. Yeah, sure. It's certainly very dense. Uh, I think 
what doesn't help it is that it's it's printed in that way of old style books where all the typesetting is really dense and the <laughs> letters are really small. You know, even when they put out a new version of a book, they still use the old one. It's as if they've photocopied it and stuck it on <laughs> fresh pages. So it's very sort of dense, literally, to read. Uh, and then that's not helped by this whole uh, extra sub subset of uh, footnotes which the book has mm. uh, because the main character, the unknown, an unnamed narrator, is a scholar of this person called De Selby. Mm-hmm. And De Selby is this creation of uh, that uh, Flann O'Brien uh, made up and is this crackpot scientist philosopher. <laughs> so the book has the the general narrative and it goes into these footnotes, very sort of David Foster Wallace-esque massive footnotes that go over a number of pages. So in that way, uh, it can be kind of hard to get your head around. And And in fact, you might read it just before you go to sleep and only read you know, four pages of the footnotes and think, <laughs> okay, that's enough for me today. And then the next day you pick it up, you'll get back to the main story. So, yes, it is a challenge, but, you know, we're all adults. And I think yeah. once we sort of break through, we can get into the swing of things. And, yeah, you know what, by the time you get to the end of it, you do want to read it again because mm. you realise, wow, this was such an amazing book. I'm going to go back and give it the the energy that it you know deserves um, because uh, it is a great book. And does it bring you joy? It's a very funny book. It's it, yeah. It's not full. Of, it's not a joke book, but it, there's such wit and humour and sort of sly insight. Um, like there's all the sort of nudge nudge wink wink stuff going on. Does it bring you joy to kind of to read it and to laugh along or to f- to to enjoy that humour? Yeah, totally. Uh, certainly, it's it's not Monty Python, but it's surreal in the way that Monty Python was. Mm. That's a good comparison. He's he's um, uh, Flann O'Brien is a big fan, obviously, of language. Mm. Uh, it comes from that uh, great history of Irish writing through Joyce and. Um, uh, whoever I forget his name, but he wrote Playboy of the Western World and and playwrights and uh, poets, of course. So the language is key to this, mm. and through the language, uh, the novel unfolds in very sort of funny ways, very sort of poetic ways, and sensitive, uh, flowery sometimes, and brutal and harsh, and it's very well done um, mm. in terms of how that is conveyed through the language and comedy is a major part of that. It's not sort of, here's a joke, everyone's laughing. Yeah, exactly. It's more like this character has almost created his own uh, language and idioms which he rolls out and <laughs> is very funny to the reader. Yeah. Yeah. And, is, and to book, obviously, you've reread. Is it the kind of book that you've gifted to other people because I, it's so it's important to you? Yeah, sure. I mean, I'd cert- I have given it to a couple of people and certainly recommended it to uh, many more. Uh, but I guess I choose those people wisely. <laughs> I don't think I'd give it to my mum, <laughs> but I'd give it to my best mate or yep. someone with a wicked sense of humour. Right. Um yeah, I, you certainly. You know what it's like when you have a book that you like. You don't want to waste it on anyone. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best description of every day of my life. It's like, this book is for this person. This book is for that person. 
Yeah, not every book is for every person. Yeah, so if it's you're offered this book from me, you know, it means that we're pretty on pretty good terms. Excellent. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for recommending it. <laughs> no worries. All right. Well, we've got so much more to talk about. I'm excited. Um, could you please reveal the title and author of book two? The second book is called Hand Drying in America, and it's by Ben Catchaw. Ben Catchaw is an American graphic novelist. Yeah. He's in his 60s now, uh, uh, probably America's most preeminent graphic novelist. Well, actually, not a graphic novelist per se. He's more of a comic strip writer that uh, has put together a number of books that are collections of his strips. Uh, and this is a collection, this hand drying in America is a collection of around about 150 of his strips that were published in an architect architectural magazine called Metropolis in America. Isn't that amazing? Mm. I find I find that fact amazing. He's a cartoonist for an architectural magazine. <laughs> because that I mean that's normal. It makes it normal, but it's so fantastic that a magazine can take a risk to yeah. give this commission to to somebody and that that person can sustain such brilliant work over in this case of 157 um, editions and I think it's still going. Um, so yeah, Ben is uh, is pretty amazing guy. Mm. Um, he's lauded by by many people, including Michael Chabon and um, uh, a lot of uh, people at the New Yorker who who have also published his work and written profile pieces on him. Uh, I guess he's a quintessential comic strip cartoonist in the sense that he's um, very smart uh, in terms of his ideas and his storytelling. Uh, he's also a beautiful artist as well mm. and handles colour very well and he has a good sort of um, wit and charm to his language. So I think uh, there's something special about um, about him in the sort of pantheon of, of cartoonists. Yeah, and his brief, as far as I understand it, for Metropolis was um, a, a graphic narratives on the subjects of urban planning, product design, and architecture. It sounds pretty dry. It does, in but it isn't. Way. No, it isn't. Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of a funny brief. Like if you were to ask exactly. to be asked to draw for an architect architectural magazine, what would you do? You know, there's only you would think you would think there's only so many um, building ideas that you could bang on about. But Ben amazingly seems to weave in um, philosophy, uh, human nature, quirks of humanity, um, little sort of um, uh, bizarre sort of occurrences that might happen or at least happen in his world that relate to design and, and all sorts of all sorts of things. So I'm just opening up the book now. It's quite mm. a it's quite a big book. I guess in terms of size, it's as big as an old LP record. Yeah, sleeve. it's a square, which is an unusual, not an unusual, not an unusual shape for a graphic novel. Yes, but it is an unusual shape for your tote bag. Yeah, and it. credit to the <laughs> publishers for actually sort of publishing it, you know, the the full size and not trying to crunch it down because the is text that the size of the magazine. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah right, it comes okay. in a kind of tabloid. Um, yeah. Uh, Newsprint. Gosh, that'd be I, half I a it'd be half a page. He's yeah, each, massive. Each um each issue would have a half page. Ben Catcher. Wow. Yeah. So I mean, some of the titles of his um every page has a, a different um story on it, and the the topics range. Um, well, I'm reading them out now. One is called banister abuse. It's it's <laughs> all about how these people that he's created uh, like 
the feel of running their hands along banisters as they walk downstairs. Um, <laughs> Don't we all, though, really? Just leave our mark. There's another one about um, uh, a little device that uh, some women put down the back of their shirts and dresses to automatically pull down the tag if it's sticking up from the back of their neck. I could use one of those. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a, oh, I'm just flicking around. Um, I guess, it, yeah, it's not just architecture then. It's sort of, it goes into design and, um, mm. and human nature. There's another full page story about cafe tables that aren't on the level <laughs> and all the different ways that the characters in this story try to get them to be level, including it ends up uh, uh, with uh, some expert in the field uh, who sets off a detonation underneath (laughs) the restaurant, causing the the restaurant and half the town to flow into the river. Um, Your tables would be nice and sturdy. (laughs) If they were floating, they'd be flat. There's There's one on the following page called An Ocean View, and it's about a hotel that only has ocean views because an every view is an ocean view. Uh, But unfortunately, at the end, one person turns up in the middle of the night and looks out his window and can't see anything. (laughs) Uh, So it's... It's it's, surreal and it's really creative. Yeah. And there is a great deal of humour in there as well. Oh, totally. And I think he's fantastic at finding that little nugget of um, quirk, I guess, and just picking it apart hmm. and running with it big time. I think that's 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 a real skill. Uh, and he's he's not running out of any ideas, it seems. And so how did you come across Ben Catcher? Yeah, I don't know. Actually, I do know. I saw one of his strips in, a Mc, in that McSweeney's anthology of cartoons that they put out many years ago. In fact, I found a lot of um, new artists through that. Uh, and Ben was um, one of my favourites from that collection. And were you well and truly drawing by then? Were you a drawer? Yeah, I was. And I I was interested. I've never really read graphic novels um, and I've never really read comic strips so much. But uh, this and his work inspired me to, to try it a bit more, I think. Yeah. And you were obviously well rewarded. Were you reading them weekly in Metropolis or were you... No, I never saw it in Australia. So, uh, right. But it was online and I signed up to his e-news and he had links to it and whatnot. So I, I, I followed it through that. But then I got into his older stuff and bought his books online and that sort of thing. And, um, managed to build up a mini library of his work, which is, is good to go back to. Yeah. What's his work like when he's not when he doesn't have that architectural brief for a particular publication? Yeah, he's very uh, New York and I think he's 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 created this universe of of, of faux New York or a, a some a replica of New York and, and the people who live in it. So instead of things that focus on design or architecture he focuses on people who live in apartments and do something or small laundry businesses that do something that nobody else does or or, so, or something like that so it can be very um very random but you get a, you get this sense through his architecture drawings of buildings and architecture that he's in new york uh and and really exploring what it's like to be uh you know an ant an ant kind of struggling in this world and, and yes. living all these quirky, funny lives. Yeah. Do you think he's got any, I don't know, but do you think he's got any architectural training or study behind him? Did he come to drawing and illustrating 
in that way? Or? No, I don't think so. I think he's uh, he's pretty much followed the cartooning vein straight through, and he teaches now. And he uh, he was awarded a MacArthur Fellowship, I think, for the first uh, comic book maker to be awarded wow. that so-called genius grant. Yeah, and uh, you know, he's invited to speak everywhere around the world, and. Um, yeah, he's he's as I said at the start, he's a he's the quintessential comic um, creator, I think. Um, yeah, and this book, hand hand drawing in America, is a great way to get into it. Have you met him, or have you seen him? No, speak? I haven't. I don't even think he's been to Australia. But uh, he's certainly there's a lot of videos online. He's done a lot of work uh, in script writing and theatre making as well, which is kind of amazing. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So sort um, of complimentary to. Yeah, I think one of his plays was called The Slug Bearers of New York, and it was all about okay. <laughs> all about this part of New York, which is made up, of course, but they make. Um, mobile phones or things for mobile phones to make them heavier because mobile <laughs> phones have become too technologically advanced so they need to be heavier so there's this part of part of uh, Long Island or somewhere where they actually make stuff to make phones heavier which is kind of cute. I and don't know that he made that up that's probably real. It's probably true it's, well that's it and that's the amazing thing you can it, it exists on the boundary between you know reality and and fantasy and then that's fun. Yeah, it takes a great creative mind to take you there as a reader in an illustrated way. Yeah, Such a clever mind. Yeah. All right, well, thank you so much. I have enjoyed my delving into hand drying in America. I'm very glad that you put this one on my desk. Thank you. And could you please reveal for us, I'll make a small little, like a drum roll. Does that sound like a drum? Sounds like someone's knocking on the door. We'll forget that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Oslo, could you please introduce and reveal uh, book number three? So number three is called Blit, and it's by Barry Blit. Barry Blit is an illustrator and cartoonist who draws principally, I guess, for the New Yorker magazine. And you may have seen his illustrations on the cover of New New Yorker magazines over the last... Gee, I think 20 years or so. Mm. Yep. He also contributes um, work for uh, other magazines in America, um, Vanity Fair and I think Esquire he's done some work for. And he used to do a regular spot for Frank Rich's column in the New York Times. Mm. Uh, so this book is a collection uh, long awaited, I must say, because he's he's been so prolific but hasn't sort of collected any of his work. This is a collection of his work uh, from the last gee, I don't know, must be 30 or 40 years even, uh, drawn for those magazines and and newspapers and sort of presents a bit of a peek behind the creative uh, thinking that goes into his work. Um, but mostly it's it's a monograph monograph of his yeah. of his work so far. Uh, and as I said, that's that's such a great thing and very much long overdue. It's amazing. I see The New Yorker all the time in the library. I borrow it frequently. I read it. I've seen his cartoons for years, never known who who drew them. As soon as this book, as soon as you told me about this book and it landed on my desk, I flicked through and was like, I've seen that, I've seen that, I've seen that, I know that. It's so familiar. He's got this amazing kind of line drawing and watercolour um, style 
um, he does people in realistic but also slightly off ways to bring them to life. Um, and it, it, there's no words with his cartoons. I mean, Ben Catcher's got that whole story, that whole narrative that goes with his his full-page cartoons, whereas Barry Blitz are an image and the story is there for you to unravel and un- unpick. Mm. Are there particular pieces of his that... Yeah, well, I think the New Yorker covers are the, probably the, one of the best places to start. Mm. And uh, he he was probably most um, uh, well-known for in recent times, I guess, for a cover that he did of Barack Obama and Michelle Obama, who were fist-pumping <laughs> on the on the on the and they were on the front page, and they were both dressed up as some um, uh, extreme Islamic um, uh, terrorists, I guess you could say, or even Osama bin Laden esque kind of uh, characters, Garb, yeah. um, which uh, caused a huge amount of controversy as in America, can, as we can only imagine. Well, what the thing was that. Uh, the the right of America said finally Obama's being depicted as he as he really is. Oh, good grief! And the left was saying this is obviously a joke because Obama is exactly not like this. Uh, so and Barry Blitt was in the middle of it, of course, saying this is a joke. I can't believe America's gone so far uh, this way. So that I guess is probably one of his most famous works. But then there's other there's other works of his uh, that he's done for the New Yorker of um, of uh, Trump. Um, doing a big belly flop in a swimming pool, um, yeah, ruining it for everybody, uh, or his his uh, toupee getting washed by rain. Um, uh, I'm just sort of flicking through these ones here. Um, the the cartoon he did for the cover of the New Yorker when Brexit was about to be announced, it was of John Cleese doing the Ministry of Silly Walks off a cliff. Yes, and there's m- like lemmings behind him about <laughs> to follow right over that cliff. Um, and he's contributed different ones for um, uh, for the inside of the magazine as well. So he, he he's done sort of jokey ones about um, Hillary Clinton and... Uh, um, Bernie Sanders and um, comparing the two, their, their, their differences. A lot of stuff about Sarah Palin when she was um, on the scene. Um, yeah, the Sarah Palin one with the caption, Sarah Palin and other Alaskan stereotypes. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he is from Canada originally. Yes, so he he's, is. Uh, he's has, I think that's that helps him in many ways and he's probably he probably talks about this uh, as well in the sense that it gives him a degree of perspective on America, yeah. a, a degree of distance perhaps. Touch of outsider-ish, yeah. outsiderism, is that a thing? Sure, yeah. And, you know, I think the biggest thing about Barry's work is it's just so fun in the sense that it tackles the the really hard stuff, the awful stuff to do with American politics or culture, but just has this really loose playfulness about it, which obviously stems from his character um, uh, and it's just such a delight to to be witness to I think it's it's so silly and fun and 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 self-deprecating and and insulting uh, I think Australian audiences could possibly connect with it a lot because there's that sort of piss take in it that's that we are so good at yeah whereas Americans are not so good at and uh, maybe that's why he can sometimes be misunderstood, um, like the Obama case. Well, he, well, he's one of us. He's an outsider looking in. 
And and his work is observational and it's commentary. Yeah. It's artistic commentary. Well, it is, yeah. And it, and he has a good visual a good understanding of visual clues and tropes and and um all that all that sort of thing which he he uses all the time. So, yeah, it's great fun. Um it's a it's a coffee table book, but it's something you can pick up and and get a really good laugh at. It's a beautiful book. Um, so how did uh, Barry come to your attention? Uh, well, I think it was through The New Yorker, and I ended up meeting him once in New York, which was kind of fun. So okay, that was... you have to tell us everything now. <laughs> oh, no, that was that was just an incidental meeting at a, at a party in, in New York when I was there, the, the one and only time I visited New York. So, uh, And we've, we've maintained some sort of contact, but I haven't spoken to him for a couple of years. But, yeah, he's, he's great. Well, tell him we say hi, <laughs> like everybody from your desert who's visited your desert island and who's delved into the book. We're all, you know, hoping that he's having a good time and living <laughs> living large and enjoying it. I just love the idea that you just went, oh, I just went to a party, <laughs> met a hero, it's totally fine, relax. Yeah, it sort of sounds a bit like a stalker story, doesn't it? Did you um, recognise him? Yes, I did. Okay. I, yeah, yeah. Um, so how do you do that? I mean, the thing about drawers like yourself is that there's a reclusive element because there, you know, there's no photo with your byline, with your byline, with the stories that you write. There's the images that you create and have published. So I always think of um, people who are visually creative as often being hidden somehow. Mm. Like they, their work does the talking for them. Yeah, and most of the time, that's all. That's how it should be, hmm. I think. Um, so, how did you recognise Barry Bleat? I don't know. I, I think I'd probably just seen his photo on the back of a book or something. That okay. um, uh, or something like that. Uh, Nothing stalkerish. I was looking for some <laughs> kind of juicy angle. No, I, yeah, I can't give you any any great story about that. I don't know how, but uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, it was all fine, and um, we had a quick chat and said goodbye. That's lovely. <laughs> It's <laughs> still sweet. I'll I'll hang on to that story. Yes. Mm. Um, so, what are you reading at the moment? Yeah. Okay. So, what am I reading? I'm. Oh, gee, you've sprung this one one on me. But I'm I'm reading a lot of uh, uh, the Rachel Cusk trilogy that's just come to a conclusion. I don't know whether anyone's. Well, I guess millions of people have read. Um, Outline, which was the first one of hers, which was followed by, oh, gee, now I've forgotten this, the name of the second one. But anyway, yeah. the last one co- is called Kudos. Yes. Uh, which has just come out, which the I have The second one read. is on display in my library because I put it on display and I can see its cover and its name eludes me. It starts with F, perhaps. Um, but anyway, I'm reading her mm. and I'm also reading... Are you reading uh, that trilogy in order or are yeah. you catching up on the new one? No, no, in order. In yeah. order, starting yeah. from the beginning. Okay. Yeah, I have the, have the halfway through the second and uh, have the third sitting there ready to go. Yep. Oh, you're very <laughs> organised. Yeah. Uh, also reading, um, dipping in and out of uh, short stories collections, um, one by Joy Williams who's an American um, writer, and one by Stuart Dyback, another American writer. Yeah. So Joy Williams put out a collection of her work a couple of years ago called The Visiting Privilege, mm-hmm. which I love. Hmm. And they've, some are very short, some roll on for a few pages, and they're very funny, but not in the sort of ha-ha funny way. Um, more in a curious, offbeat kind of way. In a Flan O'Brien kind of way? Yeah, not that extreme, but um, <laughs> certainly uh, 
Gentle humour, gentle humour. Gentle humour, maybe. And they're nice portraits of of America in Mm. in the way that, um, you know, a Stephen Shaw photograph might be of America or or something like that. So it's it's beautiful work. And Stuart Dybeck is a a beautiful, uh, in many ways, romantic kind of writer. His his love stories are really nice uh, and his he, and he writes some really really quirky, sincere stories that I really like as well. Is he a novelist or a short story writer? Uh, a short story. So he okay. did two books. He brought them out at the same time. I think they were collections. One was called Aesthetic Cahoots and, um, gee, I've forgotten the other one, but the other one was um, came out at about the same time. But Stuart Dybeck, yeah, he's, yeah. I've kind of never really sort of made it into that, um, you know, how there's sort of an echelon of Raymond Carver and um, uh, Alice Munro, even though she's um, Canadian. Stuart Dybeck, I always felt he was an outsider in that world of of big name America or North American short story writers. Same era? Same era. He's still, he's still around yeah. and, and doing work and... Uh, as far as I know, um, so, um, but yeah, I mean, he uh, he's great. He's certainly worth seeking out, and um, uh, should be given more uh, credit and interest. And how do you find time to read? What sort of pockets of your day do you set aside for reading? Yeah, it's mostly at night, I guess, when I'm frustrated with TV or social media. <laughs> it's every day then. You read a lot. <laughs> no, I don't. I really don't. And I beat myself up about it that I don't read enough. Um, but I once I get once I think I break through once I break through about 20 minutes of reading, I can probably read for a couple of hours. Isn't that true? Yeah. Oh, yeah. People say that about exercise. Who I have no idea what they're talking about. Mm. But if it's true of reading, once you get, th- once you're settled and you're comfortable and you can block everything out, away you go. It's like a marathon. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's a rhythm thing, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and so are you doing that and then staying up way past your bedtime? Yeah, can do. Although it, you know, sleep takes over. But um, on the weekends, I read a lot, mm. which is fun, especially at winter time. Um, I don't know. I think it's a habit thing and mm. I go in, in in and out of the habit in a way. You know, carry a book with you wherever you go. You'll you'll be on a tram and instead of spending time on Facebook, read three pages of your novel, you know. Every librarian's heart just exploded. <laughs> Every reader's heart just exploded. Yes, that's our new tattoo. What we're going to do is all get the same font. <laughs> it's going to be a nice one and we're just going to say, carry a book with you. You will find time to read. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It sounds a bit twee, but um, anyway. What are you uh, going to read next? Uh, well, where, where I, do you get your reading recommendations from? I, I subscribe to the New York Times and the New Yorker, mm-hmm. and so I go through the book reviews for those um, every all the time. So I uh, get a lot of ideas from from them, uh, and most recently I read about uh, the new David Lynch memoir that's just come out. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. So he's written it with somebody else and apparently they alternate between um, this uh, this second person's description, you know, written in the third person about David's life and then David comes in and talks about his own life from first-person perspective. What an interesting premise. Yeah, it sounds great, doesn't it? Yeah. I actually think the writer was his his co-writer for a lot of his 
movies, but I'm not sure. But anyway, um, that's just come out. Room to Move, I think it's called. Okay. And I've just read bits of it, and it sounds fantastic. Uh, I believe it doesn't reveal too much, or doesn't doesn't explain a lot about his movies or his TV shows or work, which is fine. I think the mystery is the thing. Yeah. So he he um, he apparently talks about his childhood growing up. Of course, it's a memoir. But yeah, some really odd things. I mean, one bit that I read, I think it was redone in the the weekend papers recently. It was something when he was a young kid with his brother at night in this hanging out in the street. He just saw this naked woman emerge out of the gloom, and she was in a lot of trouble. Uh, and he remembered seeing how awful and beautiful it was at the same time. You know, a little kid having these, you know, and they eventually got help for her. Yeah, it sounds traumatic to me, but... <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you what thinking a about his... What kid. Yeah, think about his work and what where's that come from? Yeah. And, you know, these little tidbits, I guess, go some way to explaining that. Mm, they certainly frame it, yeah. So that, that'll be... That, That'll be my next book once I get through the Rachel Cusk books. Excellent. I, I'm going to take those as a reading recommendation as well. Um, thank you so much for allowing me to bring all this re- recording equipment to your desert island. I hope I haven't disrupted the piece here too much. <laughs> Everything okay? We're yeah, yeah, as long as you give me a lift. Yeah, no worries. Off, off in your, in um, your dinghy. Unless you want to stay, you're welcome. It is your island yeah, after all. I have okay. gifted it to you now. <laughs> Thank you so much for being my guest today, Oslo. You can read this episode's show notes, including a list of all the books we discussed, including the ones we couldn't remember the names of. I will research and make sure they're all included. That full list will be on our Goodreads page. You can find that on our website at www.melbournelibraryservice.com.au and look for the Read page. I'd also love to hear about your Desert Island books. Where's your island? What are you reading? Tweet at melblibrary with the hashtag Desert Island Books. And don't forget you can subscribe and download Desert Island Books episodes at iTunes by searching for Melbourne library service while you're there you can leave a review that's a nice thing isn't it such a nice thing it'll help other people find out about the podcast and it means we might all each have an island with books on it of our very own one day thanks so much for joining us and happy reading